Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solace, and with me, as always, is my very, very talented friend. She's my personal goddess of all things liquid, the mixtress, DC Gina. <laughs> I always wanted to be a goddess on a Friday. <laughs> You're a goddess every day, damn it. I mean, really? Check in with my family. Most of the time, I feel like I just work in the kitchen there and prepare the meals and then draw them out. <laughs> Okay, Cinderella. I know. <laughs> Please continue. I will. So, Gina, are you familiar with any of the Aztec gods? Yeah, some. Okay, so how about the goddess Mayuel? She was a beautiful goddess, just like you, Gina. She was so beautiful. Her evil, evil grandmother kept her in hiding from the world. Each night, Mayuel would sit on the edge of a cloud and sing sad songs. Her rom-com worthy ballads caught the ear of the serpent god of wind, Ahaket. I don't know that I probably butchered that one to hell. Please forgive me. Nonetheless, these two fell in love and like any other good rom-com, they slipped away under the cloak of darkness to elope and honeymoon on the beaches of Acapulco. Now that part I just made up. (laughs) (laughs) But they did, they did. They did elope and it, which enraged, enraged her evil grandmother to the point that she plotted to kill them. Yes, she was going to kill these pure, poor young lovers. Um, so rightfully so, they were terrified and they, or, well, they traveled far and wide in order to stay hidden. Eventually, it got so bad they had to transform, just like any good wonder twins, they had to transfer into a beautiful maguai plant with beautiful green spires. But like most fairy tales, this one gets really dark. Grandmama found them, and she chopped the tree into bits, leaving just a single spire on the desert floor. The serpent god of wind retrieved the single spire and planted it in rich volcanic soil and nourished it with his poor tears. All this allowed Mayuel to be reawakened as the agave plant. And from that moment on, She's become the symbol of passion, love, and magic, and of course, the source of the elixir of gods, or as we know it, mezcal. So the moral of this story is drink more mezcal and be godlike. I butchered those names so terrible. I practice and practice, and I think I did better before. But man, it's an ancient language of Aztec. It's a dead language. <laughs> so Maya Well, the only reason why we all know that so well is there was a famous bar in New York City. But that has nothing to do with the next. Let's get to the. Let's get. Let's get our host. I mean, our guest out. Okay. And then we'll talk so about s- it. The host. Yeah. Can we get a new host? Um, so speaking of mezcal, let's get to today's designated drinker. Please welcome co-founder of Maximo Mezcal, John Ravis. Welcome to the show, John. Morning, morning. Thank you for having me, Luis and Gina. Hi. How are you? Good, thank you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yes. Um, sorry, I wanted to say something. My well is an amazing place and that made everybody understand that, that that's who the um, goddess and how they got the agave plant. So there was a girl, Erin Reese, that used to work there and ran it and amazing. And if you ever have a chance to read any of it, it's gone now because of COVID. But amazing, amazing mezcaleria. So anyway, John, back to you. (laughs) (laughs) So John, let's let's right away, right off the bat. um, I know people get confused with mezcal. And uh, let's right from the back, right off the bat, can you please explain to our listeners the relationship between mezcal and tequila? 
Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. That I mean, we get that really frequently as well. And and we like to equate mezcal and tequila the same way that we're more commonly thought about whiskey and bourbon. Where bourbon is a subset of a large category of whiskey, the same way tequila is a subset of mezcal. Mezcal is still an origin domination. Uh, spirit where it can only be produced in, in nine states in Mexico, whereas tequila has a very specific area where it can be produced, what it can be produced with, and the bylaws that go along with, with production for that as well. So the varietals of mezcal are the same way with whiskey, far-reaching and, and all-encompassing. So it, so to be clear, mezcal is a category and tequila is a type of mezcal, correct? Correct. correct. Great. Great. I know that we get a lot of people, I mean, I often, I'm just the host here, Gina, and, and you today definitely are the experts, but I often get that question, you know, like, oh, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what Mezcal is or so. Um, thank you for clearing that up. Of course. Hopefully that was helpful. It was. Absolutely. So tell us how your career making uh, Elixir of the Gods all started. Yeah, it's it's a pretty funny wild ride that, that we've gone on to to create Maximo. Uh, my partners and I both come or all come out of finance and, and venture capital. And we had a bankrupt tequila brand come to us about probably eight years ago now. And they were looking to be purchased and rebranded and, and placed in some of our outlets, uh, hotels and restaurants in the States. And long story short, they had a bunch of outstanding legal issues and we couldn't really move forward with them. But my two partners who are, are a little bit older than me were really excited to break into the spirits industry. And both of them are Mexican and were able to piece together some family connections for a production facility down in Oaxaca that was looking to be revamped. And we were able to piece a bunch of different aspects together. And we saw this gap uh, in the mezcal market where it was really marketed with abrasive, kitschy outlaw brands. And we were really looking to to build a, a gateway mezcal brand where people weren't intimidated by the branding or weren't able to pronounce the name and were just really interested in spirits and, and agave spirits particularly and wanted to know more about mezcal. So that's how we, we came up with Maximo and, and we created something that was a, a light branding, something that was able, something you were able to pronounce, a, a flavor profile that was a, a little bit more aligned with the U.S. palate, something uh, not too heavy smoke profile and, and a little bit sweeter, uh, so people weren't intimidated by the process or, or the category of mezcal anymore. Kind of like a gateway mezcal. <laughs> exactly. That's a perfect way to describe it. And I would, uh, you know, when we were talking and do, I was doing a little research, what I found is to be very approachable. It, to your point, if you are um, uh, not uh, acquainted with that heavy smoke that some mezcals come with, this is, and, and there are a variety of mezcals, and, and the flavor profiles are so vast, just like you're describing with whiskey. I mean, it does take a minute sometimes to find that spirit that, it, even in a sub, even within a category, that really speaks to you. Exactly, exactly. So uh, why don't we just get on and do some tasting? Wait, I have a question. Of course you do. Before we taste. Gina, you're getting between me and the mezcal. <laughs> what? All right, so let's pour. I, want, I just have some questions <laughs> because there's a, like, a little bit on here. I mean, of course, I'm going to have some spirit questions. All right. 
You can walk us through it, and then I will ask my questions. Yeah, so the nose initially is, is a much lighter profile than you might get with some uh, of the other mezcals or, or really similar to some of the bourbons that you might taste. It's it's not a lot of ethanol, a much sweeter, kind of lighter initial profile that, that you get. Um, and then as you taste, you get this lingering heat that kind of rolls around your tongue. And you'll see the initial three nuances as you begin uh, to taste and as it kind of rolls uh, over your tongue, you get the kind of initial smokiness with some citrus and then lingering heat and, and some sweetness to finally stay with you. So we really wanted kind of a nuanced mezcal where you were able to mix with cocktails, but also could drink neat if you really wanted to. I'm going to say it is very nice and very, uh, it's, um, Again, I keep going back to that approachable space where it's not that it's not that heavy hitter that hits you smack dab in the face. It's it's gentle. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and approachable was one of our buzzwords that we were all about when we were initially um, starting. So spot on. Where in Oaxaca are you? So we're in San Diego Matatlan, which is um, about an hour south of of the city. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the hub of of where mezcal is is produced, and now that um, there's they're opening up additional states, but still Mataban is is kind of the, the home base. This is really, so can I, you, I have a question? Yeah. Why would you make it, so it's delicious. Thank you. Thank you. How come, how come you did the 80 proof though? Like why didn't you let it be a little bit higher proof to show the agave a little bit better? Or, or, or. Or, or are you going to have different uh, expressions come out? We definitely are in line with doing different expressions. We wanted uh, to have 40% ABV initially, and, and mezcal traditionally is a little bit higher, um, around 40, 42 to 44. Um, we wanted a 40 so that we could really align with the U.S. consumer who was used to drinking a 40, whether it's with their gin, vodka, um, or bourbons. So we also felt that the 40 really allowed for the kind of much lighter nuances to, to really be recognized. And since it's the, the notes of vanilla or citrus, we really didn't want to play up um, kind of that ethanol level and, and really mute those out. So we went through a, a lot of tasting process and we really, we have some, some expressions pipeline that that'll be higher ABV, but um, you know, initially as, as kind of a gateway category, we wanted to release Maximo in line with, with that palette. I think it's an interesting approach, absolutely, from a branding standpoint, because everyone knows that's my gig. Gina's the expert in the spirits. I think it's a really um, interesting space for a business to find themselves, like to look at a, a space and go, we can do a really great product that will speak to, may not speak to everyone. And I mean, I am a big brand advocate for you can't be everything to everyone. And as soon as you think you can be that, your brand is destined to fail, no matter what you're making, tennis shoes, cars, spirits, doesn't matter. So I think it's very interesting for you to go into that space and um, open that door for some people who might be a little hesitant. Yeah, or intimidated by the spirit. So we, we really wanted to kind of make the transition for people looking to explore agave spirits as, as simple and seamless as possible. It's a, Yeah. I feel like that's one of the things that you talk about when you're, um, you know, a lot of people when they, when they start like mezcal or tequila or agave-based spirit in general, agave wines, you know, wherever you are in the region and you decide, you know, what it is that you're going to call it. Um, I really, the agave is nice. What it got, what it got, what else, like um, elevation are you getting your agave from? 
1600. So we're, we're Highland, um, and we're 100% Espadine. That's all we grow, uh, on the estate. And we're, we're 100% estate grown brand, which is, is kind of rare in the industry. Yeah. You know, a lot of, as, as you all are familiar with, the uh, sourcing agave and as, demand has increased over the past couple of years a lot of brands have really struggled with keeping up quality and quantity production as, as more and more brands begin to enter enter the u.s so let me ask you this what does a state grown mean so that means that everything is done on our production facility from growing the agave to hand harvesting to production fermentation distillation is all handled at one facility um you see this interesting you see sourcing commonly with with california wines or or even with with mezcal where people are buying their final final grown agave and and taken to another production facility where that's roasted and 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 just fermented and distilled um at, at kind of separate areas so being able to kind of completely control that that vertical production is something that we really um pride ourselves on to be able to maintain a a really strict quality. So you're so I have a, so for our listeners also agave isn't planted. Agave has to come from a plant and a baby has to be off of a off of the piña and then you take you take the baby plant and then you plant it in the next field. So was your estate always always a producer of itself or did you bring that your espadine in from another another estate and then you planted it and now it's generational because this is very fruity. Yes, very fruity. Um, so it's actually fifth generational espadine. So um, the family has been growing um, purely espadine um, for coming up on centuries now wow. uh, down there. So the, the process is this is average eight year um, time frame for the espadine to mature. So after they're harvested, we have to let the land, whatever plot we harvest from, that rests for another two years. Usually corn is grown to kind of re- fertilize the area but we rotate through nitrogen yes exactly <laughs> yeah um <laughs> is that what it is we rotate through our land plots to really be able to allow for that proper growth cycle of, of the espadine that's amazing so john since you own this company i always have a i always have a question and why they never do this i would love to see in like oaxaca somebody take a little bit instead of doing the corn coverage to do a rye coverage Mm-hmm. And you could do like a high heat tolerant coverage because rye is um, gives a lot of nitrogen to the soil, to the, so- to the soil. And I would just love to see what just like a small section would taste like because the sweetness from the rye will res- eventually show in a pina. And like there are heat tolerant ryes. Everyone's like, oh, it's too hot. Yeah, definitely. It's... Um... And, and there are areas at that same elevation that, that grow rye and, and don't rotate through espadine, but but I know it's 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 down there and growing and doing well. So that's definitely something that um, we'll have to take back to the partners and see if we can't implement in in the next couple of years or two and see see what that brings. But that would definitely um, definitely be a fun fun varietal to play with. That's kind of cool to think at that level. This is why you always amaze me, Gina. Like sometimes like John, honestly, she comes up with some like, do like she'll throw out again, lay down some, oh, she'll lay down some knowledge. And I'm like, where the hell did that come from? She's not just a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even 
Yeah, hadn't even crossed my mind. <laughs> She's amazing. I'm lucky to call her my partner in crime. I No, I love, now that it's sitting in my palate, you could start to really kind of like take in the next layers of it. Because at first, when you first try it, it doesn't, um, you know, for me, mezcal always kind of hits you at the side of the head. <laughs> and you're like, oh, boom, that's what you yeah. taste like. And this is so subtle. It's very, it's very subtle. It's almost um, like me. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, but for a hoven, a hoven is usually when you do, when you have a hoven, usually you know you have a little bit of a squinty eye, and you're like, oh, it's yep, young, yep. I got it. And then, and then have, I guess my next question is, have you or do you have the expressions of the anejo or any or reposado coming or or San Luis Potosi or whatever you want to call or what you're going to call yeah, it? Yeah, they're they're coming. Uh, they are a little bit backlogged due to COVID. We had planned on releasing them almost a year ago now, um, in the beginning of March of last year, um, our, our Reposado and Nejo, and we actually have an extra in Nejo as well um, that we're bringing. But um, it was really tough, and, and Gina, you can attest to this, but bringing in new spirits, um, especially as COVID hit, was merely impossible. Um to be able to not only taste with on on and off prem accounts as well as having um, the staff really be able to convey uh, tasting points was was really tough for us. So we've we've held off on on bringing those in, but um, hopefully as hopefully as more and more opens up, we'll we'll like to bring everything to market by um, by the summer. I don't think a lot of people understand. So when he, when you're, when John's saying like bring it in, he means that it's an incredible amount of taxes that, that you pay to bring this over. Exactly. And then state by state, you're taxed again. And depending on what your label is. So I understand holding off for sure. Um, I totally want to sample, <laughs> yeah. but I have a question for you on the Anejo and stuff. Did you stay at the same 80 proof or did you, did you increase the proof on that? Um, the level a little bit just to bring out the sugar yeah. of the um yeah great point it actually is a 42 so it, it moves up a little bit um so like you said that balances that really sweet almost maple varietal with with some ethanol so it really gives it um uh, a backing there I was going to say, so if I didn't hate COVID before, I hate it even more because now it's getting in the way of me and my mezcal. And that's just not, that's not cool. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so mine wasn't a question. Yeah. Mine was just a dumbass comment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have another, I have another, I have another nerd question for everyone's listening and tasting. <laughs> um, and they're going to go out and they're going to get the Maximo and taste it. So. Of course. When you. When you Ultimately, if your distiller says how you're going to taste this, what 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 would he or she, sorry, is it a woman or a man that makes this? Oh, it's female. Frida, Frida, yeah. Frida, yes. Frida. She's yes. a woman made. Yeah. Yeah. It's a woman made ma ma mascot. What's Frida's last name? Uh, Mendez. Frida Mendez. I love it. What yes. a good name. Yeah. So the yeah. So the reason why I'm asking um, is how does she? And I just wanted to refer to her correctly. How does she want this to be tasted? Because a lot of times mezcals are tasted in the early morning yeah. because that's when your palate can, can take on that kind of flavor. Um, a lot of times if you drink mezcal later in the evenings, you'll miss some of the, from some of the um, tropical, not tropical, the more fruitier notes because your palate's already been destroyed by, let's say you had, I don't know, cheese at coffee. noon. Yeah, yeah. coffee. Um, something strong tasting. So like what, does she agree with that same 
drink it in the morning or? Yep, before your first coffee. Mm-hmm. And that's how when we were first down there and, and my partners, Lumberto and Henry, you know, they were first thing up in the morning. It was mezcal at the kitchen table and then off to the field. So um, she is she is the same way. And if if you are able to get away with that in, in the States, drinking mezcal first thing in the morning, then God bless you. Um, but she really, um, is the same way and really wants to expand the spirit category. So loves tasting it neat with, with fruit, whether that's lemons, limes, or oranges with, with salt, with, um, a whole bunch of different areas for really whatever palate or however you, you enjoy tasting. She's really open, uh, to progressing the, the spirit category. You can see how the salinity with this would really like uh, like salt. You're saying would go really well, like even like salted fruit as like a dehydrated fruit, and eat that with it. Very smart parent. Okay, so I have I have a really important question. So if you can't drink coffee before you taste mezcal, are you brushing your teeth first? Then <sighs> no. no. You're going to have to go, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going down with stink breath, aren't you? You're doing it with, with stink breath. <laughs> the best thing to do is drink water and then go taste. And then go brush your teeth, have breakfast, whatever you're going to do. <laughs> or keep drinking. Or, or, like I said, whatever you're going to do. Take a nap. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Louise, have you been? I don't even know, Louise, have you been to um, anywhere, like any of the distilleries in Mexico before? I I have gone through tequila multiple times. Um, we drive through because we're a friend who lives in Guadalajara and we'll drive through to going to the beach. We'll go over to Puerto Vallarta. I have not figured out how to stop yet and actually make a good um, trip out of staying in tequila, which is sad because I think we know a few people that might be able to help make that a really <laughs> yeah. good trip. I was going to say, if, if anyone, you two would know people in tequila. No, Oaxaca yeah. is so beautiful. It's a coast. It's it's very beautiful there. And the elevation, the mountains are insanely beautiful. But once you're there, I feel like a lot of times you get really into where you are. And then like the morning goes very quickly to the evening. And the next thing you know, it's dinner. And you're like, how the <laughs> fuck is it nine o'clock? <laughs> it's because you started drinking mezcal at 7 a.m. <laughs> it's that. And then it's also tasting the different uh, roasted. When you roast the pina, uh, Louise, and there, it's being squished just like grapes, right? Or anything else. There is a, there, you drink that, you taste it for the sugar or the content or what it's going to be like. And that in itself, you know, people say, you know, you want to talk about the magic of, of a pina or the mezcal or, or the um, plant. Uh, espadine, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, espadine in particular was used for people to enlighten their senses. So when you, when you have espadine and it's not like it's going to, you're not, it's not peyote and you're not tripping out. <laughs> it's, it's the way that the, um, the, uh, the actual sugar of the, of the, of that agave plant hits you. And there's a, and they, and, and people drink the tea with just a little bit of the agave in it with hot water just to, you know, maybe clear your head. <clears throat> exactly. I think, I think we got, I think we got to get Louise to, uh, to Mexico and take her in and let her, and let her sit. You know, I only go to Mexico like three times a year. You'd think I make my way. <laughs> Before COVID, before COVID. Although I did manage two trips last year. Yeah, you gotta like, 
get out of the mainstream and you go really, really deep into where everybody, yeah. No English. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm screwed there. Um, so, you know, Gina, it's, it, you know, what, the, what I think you're saying to me is that um, I, you and I need to go and David needs to stay at home or go somewhere and we meet him later because he only wants to be, he only wants to be um, at the beach. So it sounds like uh, you and I are going to have to take the trip up to the mountain and see him on our way back down. Yeah. I'll join. I'll join as well. Absolutely, John. John, do you ever just leave this out? You ever just like, you know, to can't, do you ever like just like put this out and like let it just keep going? Because it's like getting a little different more now. No, how so? It's like, even though it's a distilled spirits, like it's, um, it's going a little bit further. Like it's starting to like, uh, like, uh, I don't even know. No. I'll, almost like floral, a little floral. I'll have to try that. I'll have to try that. Kind of almost let that aerate a little bit. I mean, and like, and like, and that's not a real thing for a distilled spirits and there was no water in my cup. So I'm like, huh. <laughs> interesting. It's changing a bit. Yeah. Anyway, let's make a drink. Let's do it. What do you think? Louise, is it Let's, time or did I miss something? I don't know. No, it is time, damn it. I'm just drinking this over and over again. I'm like, I'm not going to do anything I need to do today. All right. So I love Hoven Mezcal. If you ever listen to our show, you know for sure that I am a humongous fan of the category. Have been. Travel. Love all of it. Um, I'm really happy to have this as our new, as a new flavor. And for me, I, I all spirits. I like to um, use them differently and try to like always do something fun and interesting. Uh, this time of year, uh, we are able and very fortunate to get um, blood oranges, and I love blood oranges. They're so delicious. And I and I and I'm not even sure. And John, maybe you can answer this question. I've seen it. Do they have like access to blood oranges in Mexico? Is that a thing? No. Yeah. Oh yes? yeah. Yeah, definitely. But where do they come from? California or or like where are they growing? Baja, you'll see them in Baja. Oh, uh, Baja, okay. Yeah. So, um, and so we get most of our our blood oranges in, in this in the United States comes from Australia, which is insane, right? Because like they grow some of them in California, but a majority of everything on the East Coast comes from Australia. So we're going to basically mix equal parts of mezcal. Well, sorry, we're gonna eat, we're gonna mix two ounces of mezcal to two ounces of blood orange and one ounce of Campari. And the reason why we're using Campari in there is because Campari is going to act as our sugar because it has a ton of sugar in it and it's going to bring out the um, little staunchiness of the, um, the mezcal, which I love. And it's like just a really beautiful, two beautiful things coming together. And then we're just fortunate enough to have blood orange. And if you don't have blood orange, you can use uh, regular um, juicing oranges. Uh, if you want to have a little bit of fun and maybe switch up the recipe a little bit, pink lemons are really good, uh, really fun. It would actually make it a little bit more um, tart. And then if you really want to get crazy, there's a new product or a new fruit, I should say, that was, um, I almost think it was engineered by Dole. And it's a pink pineapple. What? And pink pineapples are pretty amazing because and the same way that the pink lemon is, it's just played with the acid in the soil, the way that they grow it. So it wasn't like something that was engineered or changed by the seed. It's like when you have tomatoes and you put sulfur in the soil and uh, it makes the tomato sweeter because it's struggling. It's the same kind of um, idea. Oh, All right. interesting. So we have our blood orange in there and now we're going to add our Campari. 
Yeah. And we're gonna put one ounce. And I don't, where's my chick? I don't have a jigger. Oh, I do have a jigger. Something's Here. wrong with the world. I know, the world, <laughs> the world is gonna go crazy. So we're gonna do one ounce of Campari. Just enough. Just enough, it's just a, it's just a taste, right? It's just like a little, a little sweetness. And then we're gonna put two ounces and this is this is my personal preference. Two ounces, and I like to put a quarter in there. And people that listen to our podcast always want to know why I put a little bit of a quarter when I'm going to put uh, juice in there. Uh, you know, really, is there a real reason? No, I just like it a little bit stronger um, because it, it like gives it a little bit more body to the cocktail. So you're going to shake this cocktail. So we're going to take our top of our shaker tin, fill it all the way, which would make your shaker base fill three quarters of the way. You're gonna top it, give it a little love tap, and we're gonna shake. And one thing that I always tell you when you're shaking, keep your arms at a 90 degree angle and just move your forearms back and forth. It'll get your cocktail the coldest it can be. So we're gonna now take it off. There we go. You got this pretty froth on top. And here's something really funny. When uh, John dropped off the sample at the restaurant, the guys put a, a piece of tape around it that said, it said, uh, from John for Gina. And it was really, really funny to me because I was like, I was like, do you guys just normally put tape on everything? They're like, yeah, we do. So I decided that, that is the garnish on my cocktail. I love it. Because I was like, if, I mean, if that's what it is, you know, I'm totally, I'm, I'm into that. So it kind of yeah. make, you know, makes it a little personal. So now let's do the color. Look at that color. Gorgeous. Oh, very pretty. Really pretty. Wow. And, you know, the blood orange, the Campari, the Massimo. I mean, you have to like, you know, a little Italian in there always helps, right? So we're going to put this on top and blammo. It's a really pretty cocktail. Simple. Gorgeous. Easy. Easy to get. So if you're listening at home, all there you need. There we go, is, Gina. Look at me. You look beautiful. All you need is all you need is a piece of tape that says <laughs> from John to Gina. <laughs> and you have your cocktail. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, Gina, I love that recipe. I love the idea of playing with the, the tartness of, of the blood orange and, and the sweetness of Campari with with Maximo. I think that's a that's a a perfect pair. So the funny thing is, you know, so John, you don't know this. Gina does. And some of our listeners, I'm sure, have heard me say this many times, is that my father had five wives. <laughs> my mother was number three, but his first wife was, and my father spent 12 years in Italy. His first family is all Italian. So this is kind of like my siblings <laughs> in a glass. <laughs> 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 Ode to my father's first wife <laughs> and his children with her. <laughs> oh my God, how funny is that? I love it. Um, seriously, Louise, that's pretty funny. <laughs> but I, you know what I, you know what I like is that the that it stands up to the Campari, right? You still taste your product, you still taste all the flavors, and everything is in there, and it's just. You know, it's just really pretty and like the way that like it works and gorgeous. It's just a nice it's it's a really nice mixing cocktail like um mezcal. So like for me, I'm always looking for something that I can like versatilely use, especially if you're gonna go for like the restaurants that we could keep into the well and would work in other cocktails. Um in 
it, it's just like really important for us. So I feel like this is a good bartender's mezcal. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's also in like having your parties at, at like, I, well, when we get to the other side again and I have house parties <laughs> again, um, I, I often make a, a batch of cocktail. And honestly, that's kind of where the idea of this show came from. I'll batch a cocktail so because important people like Gina told me a long time ago, you don't want to, you know, want to bartend at your parties just make a punch and let everyone serve themselves. This is something that you could serve and really introduce some people to Mezcal in a very, uh, again, I went right back to the word, approachable space. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, I, it's funny is that both of these, Campari and Mezcal, are kind of two spirits that a lot of people aren't quite sure what to do with Amaro's and, and Mezcal. So it's kind of really nice to introduce somebody to such a beautiful cocktail, very drinkable, very approachable, um, all at once. Yeah, that's a perfect way to describe. You're amazing, Gina. Well, I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, great job, Gina. No, I mean I'm a fan. I like it. It's really good. I'm, I'm very excited to try your other products. We're very excited to bring them in. We're 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 very um, disappointed with COVID for many reasons, but I think you're not alone in that sentiment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. That's for sure. All right. So, um, where is everyone going to go to get this recipe and all your other recipes, Gina? They're going to go to Designated Drinker Show. Wait a minute, did you just say designated drinker dot show? All right, I'm muffling I'm I'm mumbling through my mask, but I said designated drinker dot show for all the tips, tricks, how to's and we're gonna make sure that there are hot links to his product so that way um if you're interested and you really want to try this amazing mezcal, we'll have that as well. And then John, you've got to keep us abreast when the rest of it comes in. Definitely. I think some some more shows are in uh or, or pipeline then once once these come in. So Gina, um, I think I'm pitching it up to you now, Mama. Okay, so I have a question. So in this day and age, everybody has somebody, something, some kind of spirit animal that they identify with. And maybe since you're in Oaxaca, you're like, I really identify with the monarch butterfly because it comes here and lands and it pollinates all of our beautiful agave. And it's the reason why we have the pollination that we have and all of that, right? Or... If you could identify yourself as one spirit ingredient, whether it's for food or drink, what would it be and why? Spirit ingredients. And it could be something for food, one ingredient that you use that's your spirit ingredient. That I identify with. Well, Gina will definitely remember this. Louise, I'm not sure, but um, Three Olives used to make a Three Olives Dude. And... People, when I first um, moved down here at the beach, people were drinking Dude and Sprite. So it was basically like drinking a Mountain Dew. And that was my forte into bar backing and the bar industry. So that forever will be my... my Your spirit. I love it. I love spirit. that. <laughs> yeah. If I can ever find it ever again. I didn't, Gina, does it even exist anymore? No, I don't think so. I think there is some three olives grape still flying around every now and again. Wait, I have a question, John. Where was your first bar gig? So um, I, after I graduated, I moved down to Delaware. So I bartended down in Dewey and Rehoboth for two years. Name the bar. Name the bar. So Finn's, Finn's Fish House. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on, right on Rehoboth Avenue. Yeah, it was... Um, it was a, a great spot, fun time, um, and then my roommates bartended at, at Starbird, Hammerheads, um, all over the place down there. So 
it's it's always fun to get down, especially in in the off seasons and to see everyone. I'm a University of Maryland alum, so we spend all of the summers at the beach. Oh, same. <laughs> yeah, same here. I love that. Yeah, and then when I moved back to DC, I bartended at which is now closed, but the Bourbon in Glover Park hmm. for for two years, and then I uh, was with the Circa groups for for a while. So. Circuit Clarendon, Circuit yeah. Dupont, Foggy Bottom, and and I kind of bounce around, and that's when. Um, no, now you're slinging mezcal. I love it. Yes, I know. Now from the other side now. Yeah, now, now you learn the real the real deal, right? I love that. That's <laughs> see, that's perfect, right? That gives all of the um, brand that like the strength, right? You already you know the position from behind the bar, and you know what's good and what's not. So. If yeah, you're listening, exactly. pick up a bottle because this is pretty great. Definitely help. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for the for introducing us to this great mezcal. Gina, thanks for making this amazing cocktail. I'm going to um, go off and drink the rest of it and waste the rest of my day. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> almost noon. <laughs> Same. Thank you, John. Gina and Louise, thank you so much. This was a blast. Cheers. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.